and what we do right now is mostly what you see on the eastern coast of Canada is is Eastern Canada actually imports oil from you know Saudi, Russia, Venezuela, U.S. Um, instead of keeping Canadian oil flowing across Canada, or we had uh, it's called the Energy East Pipeline. This is back in 2017, I believe it was when it got axed, but it was a plan. I'm Miriam Hoffman, a full-time college student living in Carbondale, Illinois, and you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Quick Dick McDick is back. He was one of the most requested podcast guests I've ever had, and after our last podcast, we had a blast. Several months have passed, many things have happened, and I decided to invite him back on. So during this podcast, we talk about his comedy, and if you've never seen one of his videos, uh, you should check it out. I'll put it in the show notes below. He's probably one of the only YouTube videos that I watch just purely out of entertainment, just to laugh, just to relax, just to see what Quick Dick McDick is up to. So I really highly recommend you check it out. We're going to go to this interview with a guy that not only has a sense of humor and is constantly creative, but is also deeply invested into uh, the energy future of Canada. So towards the end of this interview, we get into an in-depth conversation of what happened when the pipeline was canceled with Biden and what does this mean for uh, Albertan families and the way that Canada is structured as uh, energy dependent on other countries. It's a very interesting interview and I'm glad Quick Dick came on to talk. Before we get to that interview, I want to throw out a little note. You'll notice during this interview, I talk about the uh, Articulate Ventures Network. This group is running and rolling, and we are uh, really doing some cool stuff. Just today, one of our members announced that uh, software code that they were inspired to write because of the group, and they were pushing forward on starting a new business, not only has been sold once, but sold twice. And that kind of goes with that old visualized value line, build once, sell twice, and you're on to a capitalistic adventure. And so that's the type of stuff that's happening with members in the network. So if you're thinking about getting around a group of people that'll push you to do things that you've always wanted to do, but you don't quite know how, think about joining the network by visiting network.articulate.ventures. Also, one of the uh, classes that we have up online is about Google Ads and how to make that whole system work. And I know that there are tons of videos out there that I spent quite a bit of time trying to watch and I always give up because they go into such great detail that really all I want to do is get something up and off the ground and then learn from there. So my executive producer, Ben Anderson, uh, got together with another partner and they put together a one-hour class on how Google Ads work. And I highly, highly recommend uh, this class. It is quick, fast-paced, will get you started, and will give you a way to think about um, using the Google ad platform, which is probably the most um, powerful ad platform in the world, to your own benefit. So if you're interested in that, go check out store.articulate.ventures, and on there you'll find a class all about Google AdWords. So without further ado, we're going to head to the interview with my man. Quick Dick McDick. Quick Dick McDick, welcome back to the podcast. Jeez, thanks for having me, man. Uh, great, great to see you again. It's uh, It's been quite a while, eh? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I actually see your uh, face all the time. And so I have the sense that I'm talking that. to you all the time. <laughs> but you're right. It's been like uh, nine months, ten months since you came on the podcast the first time. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's been it's been a while. I think uh, yeah, I think the grass was green or something like that last time we talked. But uh, man, lots has happened. Congrats on the young one. Uh, that's just uh, great news to hear, man. Always love hearing about little people coming into the world. So yeah, she's a little quick now. We were already uh, we were already <laughs> listening to him. We we're we we're uh, doing the first uh, first few feedings, and uh, I find that if I have some sound on, it kind of calms her down and right she's a little quick, man. Awesome. Love to hear it, man. That's great. No, that's fantastic. Uh, how's things down south in the lovely U.S. of America? Well, so we're in, in a totally different world than Saskatchewan in that it has not snowed or even had freezing rain even one time in St. Louis this year. So it's <laughs> it's gotten below zero, but not that much. And so that's no fun, man. Like, where? how do you like I think the best part I like about winter up here is that you get serious, serious beard frost and it turns into a competition. Like most people, you know, change pictures of, uh, oh, you know, I got I got this temperature, I got that temperature. And then there's like the, the group of guys that have beards. And it's like, who has the biggest icicles hanging off their beards while they're outside? So it's a testament to two things, that you've got serious moisture in your breath that's coming off and that you're in the coldest temperature, but... Yeah. So who's the, who's the poor bastard in Saskatchewan that's like me, that if I tried to grow a beard, like I could have some tufts coming off here and some <laughs> off on the right chin. Okay, I'm not allowed to call out names because it'd be publicly shaming them. So I can't really, <laughs> but we're, uh, my family's pretty lucky. I've got a, I've got an older and younger brother that actually grow better beards than I do, whether this is a good one or not, I'm not sure. But yeah, there's a few guys that, you can tell there's the guys that grow the goatees that they're like, well, I can't fill it in here. And then there's the odd guy that just rocks a big handlebar mustache because they can't fill in the chin or something. It's about working with what you got. Right. So, uh, but man, there was, a, I, I gotta say, there's this one guy that manages. Uh, so it's a community pasture that's right close by, which is like kind of a community lease where everybody brings their cattle to graze. It's, it's crown land owned by the government and stuff. Uh, but I mean, this guy was like a solid, solid 12 out of 10. I mean, he had eyebrow frost, eyelash frost from the nose down to the mustache and the beard. It it was pretty impressive. It might be worthy. We should start an award show for the best beard frost in Saskatchewan, I think. And whoever well, I get the most going would be the, the winner, obviously, right? You'd get no competitors from down here. Like here, the big <laughs> thing is people have a beard from uh, like – sometime in the beginning of November till the first of the year. And then they're all shaved off and everybody's clean cut to go into the new year. So I've been holding off on, uh, well, I mean, obviously COVID restrictions have got things to the point where you kind of can't get it done. And then I'm, I'm kind of holding off because I think if ever comes the day that I need to escape social media, I can just shave and no one will know who I am. So this is a good uh, startup question. Um, your, our past interview, we had a good conversation about what you were doing in your comedy videos and how all this works, but you've now had a lot more time making these observations around small town Saskatchewan, around rural Saskatchewan. What uh, I would imagine that that level of introspection in order to be able to put out the number of videos that you have ultimately changes the way you view the world around you. Would you say that it's different? You oh, think man. about things differently? Yeah, it, it's, uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it totally does. You know, uh, man, especially with what's going on. Uh, I, I mean, you can kind of conglomerate social media and, and COVID almost together with what's gone on in the last little while, but, uh, man, things, uh, I've really noticed it. I mean, I haven't been doing this for a long time. Like, I mean, you know, just over a year here now that I've kind of been putting videos out kind of thing. And I've, I've noticed even since I started doing it till now that people, uh, 
people get very sensitive and ratcheted up on social media. Um, I mean, obviously probably with a, with a longing for, for information that they're trying to look for due to, you know, the COVID pandemic and, and restrictions and things that are going on uh, and a few political things as well. Uh, but I, I've uh, yeah, I've really been being a, I, I wouldn't say, you know, careful, but I mean, conscious of what I'm putting online uh, as far as content goes, just be kind of because of what's happening in the world right now. And I mean, I, I, like, I guess I don't really mean to use it as an example, but when you look at what happened with the, you know, with the, with the uh, Trump supporters and everybody that wound up storming the Capitol and some things, there's, there's some crazy things happening out there right now. I mean, you spend a a better part of the summer and into the winter seeing, you know, a lot, a lot of riots happening and things like that. And uh, I, I feel it's just more important now than ever to really be conscious of what you're putting up and, I even feel like in the last year, some of the things that I would have put up that people would have looked at is, well, that's just kind of a, a goofball with a comedy channel now is like their tone has kind of changed of what they're watching. And even you see it in a lot of the comments on your videos and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, man, you, you just got to be really conscious of what you're, what you're putting up. Uh, to, to well, that, try I mean, like, that's comedy's dangerous, right? Because like <laughs> the, the, the whole reason that you have a court jester is because that jester is supposed to keep the king from getting too big of a head, right? So he's the one that can say stuff that makes everybody laugh, everybody feels good, we keep grounded. But if you end up starting to have a situation where the jester's no longer allowed and comedy gets kind of pushed out, then nobody's keeping everybody on the ground, and and people take what was meant as lighthearted or fun or kind of a quirky take as aggressive and something they need to destroy. Yeah, very, very much so. And I, I, I did a video called uh, the, the great reset. Uh, and I mean, 90% of all my videos are geared at just getting people laughing and even laughing about what's happening. You know what I mean? Because you need to be able to, and I've always said this from the start, I'll always say it until apparently if this is, if what I'm doing is a comedy career or whatever it is, uh, is, is over, you need to be able to laugh at stuff. Right. And, uh, there's some pretty crazy things going on in the world right now, but it just doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of times I can still look at things and just be like, that is so absurd. It's hilarious kind of thing because you kind of can't believe that it's happening. But when I did that video, I, my, my intent was, was to just kind of get people laughing at what's going on and the, the kind of the hypocrisy of a few things that are happening. And, Oh man, like you go into the comment section of, of that video. And like, I, that, that is the first one I've done. And it's kind of a, I'd, I'd call, you know, our, our pandemic and everything that's going on, it, it's maybe at the height of what's happening. I hope it's at the height of what's happening, you know? And uh, I, I had to take an obscene amount of comments down uh, just because you're starting to get like hate comments and, and violent comments and everything. And I, I can't have somebody commenting in, the, in, a, in a comedy video that I made about politics in Canada to, to stretch the necks of politicians. Like, you have to take that stuff down, right? And uh, th- that's never my intention of any of the stuff that I do. I just, you know, kind of want to make fun of the reality of stuff that's going on and then move on. I think there's a lot of comedians that do that. And maybe I missed the mark on it, but I've watched it over a few times and I'm like, well, I'm not trying to rally up a a, a posse here to go down to the parliament buildings and dethrone people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think like one of the reasons I like your videos so much, I was thinking about this the other day. One of my favorite videos that you did 
there was a scene where you're talking about uh, the tie downs or the straps and you're yeah. talking about if you don't have eye protection then the next strategy is just turn your head and like try and like put your hand up and i was like yeah, in safety shield you just kind of go like this right there yeah. is no man on the planet that has not had that happen to them and there's like not, there's not one side note i had like 12 to 20 moms you know message me on different social media and stuff and be like i wish you wouldn't put stuff up that for my kids to see kind of thing and i'm just like hey i'm i'm, I'm not trying to encourage unsafe behavior i'm trying to make fun of stuff that i've seen my dad do you know what i mean so <laughs> hey people gave you shit about that video uh i i can promise you man so there's absolutely every video that i do somebody gives me shit about it whether it's my own mother or somebody else so but, what do you yeah. think he's on there when when somebody you don't know uh reaches into your world and tries to tell you like this is the way you ought to do it what's going on in the mind of somebody that does that yeah um you hear a lot of that and i i, I get you know where, where where some people are coming from and uh i feel like we'll talk about this too this kind of ties in maybe to a little bit of, of energy stuff that i've been talking about that i'll be talking about too but um, I, I get that people get upset. And I, I think most of the time when you see people get upset about things, nine times out of 10, it's because they don't understand what's happening. Right. Um, I did a, or, or maybe they've, they've had something happen in their life that would, that would cause them to, you know, to, to have something like that, maybe trigger an emotion within them being like, Hey, I, I don't like what you're doing. Uh, case in point would be, I did a, I did a video called uh, beer equals barley is a, a two part video just where I went through like the, the start to finish of a can of beer of, of how you get it. And I was actually lucky enough to partner with a great Western brewing company right here in Saskatchewan. Um, and we grow Metcalf malt barley that's used in brewing, which is kind of cool. And it was super fun to do and got to meet some great guys at the great Western brewing company. And uh, it, it, that's the, been the neatest thing about this is you just, you keep getting to interact with people that are, are very involved in some different things. And, and from uh, one of the brewers there, I mean, I've learned more about barley in three conversations with him than I've ever even knew existed about barley. <laughs> we grow it, you know what I mean? So that's been really cool. But um, getting back to the point, there was a, there was a time where I just did a shot where I, I was, I was falling backwards into a into a load of, of barley on oh a trip, man right? oh man and, i know where this is going. <laughs> okay but it's so like the thing is is people get very uh very concerned and i remember as a kid my parents always told me you know you have to be very careful you don't want to stand in a load of barley in the danger of a bin and when you start getting uh, a cave action going in a bin that you can actually get yourself in trouble and i get it but it's it's different when you're on the top of a load and maybe it's something that I shouldn't have been doing on my video kind of thing, which you kind of don't think of at the time because there's, there's really no way that I'd possibly be able to get hurt doing what I was doing. But if you get a kid in the wrong situation that's doing something like that, I could see how you might be concerned about it. And this parent was concerned because there'd been a, a, a group of, of kids in their community that had actually uh, had a, a, a fatal incident involving grain collapsing in, in a storage unit. So, everyone's initial reaction when somebody gets after you on, on something that you've done or what you're doing, I mean, is obvious to get defensive and defend yourself and say, it's not that big of a deal. But I think, I mean, maybe the more important thing that I've learned of, of what I've done over the last little while is to, is to tr try and take it with a grain of salt and then try and put yourself into their shoes and think, well, well, why are they coming at you with, with the accusation or, or the defense of what they have going on? 
and, and just try and wrap your head around that maybe before you respond to it, because everybody's very, very quick nowadays to just, and I am guilty. I'm, I'm guilty nine times out of 10 to just, you know, hit somebody back with a comment or something like that. But maybe that's maybe what's missing a little bit from society right now is to just take a deep breath and see where the other person that is, is, uh, having an issue with what you're doing, why they would be coming at you with that issue try and put yourself in their shoes before you respond. And after we converse back and forth a little bit, I realized that she had been a member of this community where, where they had had this tragedy happen. And at that point in time, when you see something like that um, and you understand it, you're like, okay, I, I can understand how you might be concerned about what I did or, or, or who might take the wrong thing from what I was doing. And uh, that, that's, I feel like that's something that's really very quickly deteriorating from our society, especially in the last little while with what's been going on, because everybody's just so up in arms about politics and, and COVID and your the energy, green energy and climate change and everything. There's just, everybody seems very, very oversensitive and it's hard for everybody to, uh, to be able to just take five and take a breath and just be like, okay, I kind of see where you're coming from, but let's, have a conversation about it instead of fighting about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I run a network and part of the online group, they get together and they do all kinds of interesting things that are not normally associated with um, the internet. So we have this thing called Circular Firing Squad, which is like a debate. So we take a really controversial topic. Anybody that signs up can come. Um, But the expectation is before we get started, everyone has to go around the the, um, horn and say, this is what's going on in my life right now. And the expectation is if you say everything's good, then you're probably not saying the truth, right? Like, hey, I got my, my <laughs> boss is going on. I, well, last night I was fighting with my spouse or I had this whatever. And you find that if – I don't know that that the that people go any easier on anybody else for, for that. But I do think there is this sense of like, oh, I can hear Mike's frustration and I maybe don't have to have all of his frustration – feeling like it's being pointed at me and I have to be defensive. And I think that the whole world of social media strips out all of those things. And they say, if there's any emotion laden in this comment, it's all about me and I should be able to push back on that. Or at least that's the way I feel. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, I, I feel like that's a, that's a a very good observation. Uh, You really see it in people. And that's if, if if you dig a little bit past of a comment that somebody's making, it's uh, you know, maybe, maybe it has absolutely nothing to do with them, but maybe it has something to do with somebody that they're very closely involved with or somebody that they love or a family member or something that's experiencing hard times kind of thing. And you're attacking the hard times that they're feeling. And thus, so you retaliate with defense and defense usually is, is anger before anything, you know, (laughs) which, which shouldn't be the way it is, but it's unfortunately human nature. Right. So, um, yeah, you, you get with, with a lot of these videos that I do and a lot of the stuff that I, that I cover. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of pulled off a little bit. I try and do like a, I, I call it a ratio of like one to four. So I'll do like a, if I'm covering something sensitive or political or something like that, I'll, I'll, I'll do a video on that kind of thing, which is my videos are my opinion, you know, like I'm not speaking on behalf of somebody. I'm not speaking for Saskatchewan. They didn't elect me to do that. The Scott Moe was the one they elected to do that. I'm not speaking on behalf of Canada. I'm just, I'm speaking on behalf of me and probably just a couple of farmers that I know that are close by here kind of thing. And uh, I just try and make it light and funny. And then I'll try and, you know, pit that against four videos 
that have nothing to do with politics or anything that are just slapstick. Can we all just hang out and laugh kind of humor? But the crazy thing is that I've, <laughs> that I've noticed in the last little while with a lot of the stuff that I do specifically over the past, I'd say six months um, has been, uh, I can put up a video about, uh, I, I did, let's use today for an example. I put one up and it was just a goofy video, maybe a little bit offside, which I do from time to time about, I was talking with myself, uh, trying to figure out how my wife had got mad at me kind of thing. And I, all I said was what I was thinking. Nothing related to the wood in between your legs, I think. Right. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. yeah I'm impressed. You watched it, man. Thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, absolutely nothing to do with politics whatsoever. And I have at least, you know, 20 comments in the queue that trace back to COVID or the government or something. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how are we tying this together? You know, like this is just supposed to be a goofy video that can make you, it was the point of it is just to make you forget about everything that's going on in the world and just be able to sit down watch a video and laugh and be like, that's funny, man. That happens to me too. You know? And that's, that's, I try to counter the one to four ratio with that kind of thing, but it doesn't seem to matter how much you try and keep that ratio right. There's a few people that just, they just got to do it. It's like they're addicted to, to, to bringing what's happening to them that day. No matter what you put out for content, they want to bring that into that conversation and address it. And it's, it's, it's kind of sad that that's where we're at. I get that people are cooped up in their homes and a few different things and they're shut down. And maybe that's the only place that they have where they can bring out their transgressions and everything. But man, at some point in time, we got to be able to look at something and be like, that's, we don't need to make that political at all. That's actually hilarious. And it's okay for me to just sit here and laugh at something completely silly. You know what I mean? And I, I think like, you know, you're in the weird position that you went from being relatively isolated, right? You were living in the oil fields and then you're in Tufnell and Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And then you have like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of views, if not comments. Mm-hmm. Like, how have you been able to handle that like huge swing between pretty much anonymity, lonely lifestyle to people believing they need to tell you their views on XYZ political issue? Or... <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I guess uh, I'm a little bit spoiled in what's going on. And in, in my previous career in the oil field, uh, my, my last, uh, my last about seven years, I'd say were spent actually managing people. Um, and I guess in a way it kind of groomed me for what's going on right now, because I, I, you know, I had a lot of drivers and employees and, you know, mechanics, uh, office admin, uh, like you name it. Uh, you had a lot of people that were kind of getting after you and, and looking for answers and a few different things. So I've got quite a bit of experience dealing with people and maybe even people reacting out of emotion and stuff. And it was, it was, I guess in a way, some good training for what I'm doing right now. Um, as far as day to day life goes, Vance, I like nothing's really changed in my life in the last, I don't know how many years. I mean, I, I, I guess I haven't been browsing for a girlfriend in the last little while, which is kind of strange to me, but I mean, be like being alone is, is no shocker to me kind of thing. It just, I, I seem to spend a lot of time now instead of answering, you know, questions and, and emails and text messages from customers, uh, drivers, transload facilities, a few different things or whatever. It's just kind of, it's, 
it's just kind of shifted over to, you know, some, some people on social media and I'm not going to say, you know, kooks or whatever. Uh, there's some kooks that get in there and, and send messages and stuff, but there are so many good people that follow me and have great inputs on my channel and they feel like they're a part of it, which is, which is what I want it to be. You know, um, they feel a part of it and they'll tell their story on how, what I've put out relates to what they did. And I, I don't have the opportunity to comment back to everybody all the time, but um, that's the positive part that comes out of this. You're always going to have people that are, you know, a bit obtuse with you and, and that are against you and, and want to challenge what you're doing. I've, I've dealt with that my entire life and I'm not a stranger to it, but I feel like the more rewarding part of it is when you have people that are like, even if someone comments on a video that I put up, whether it be on, Oh, like Twitter or Facebook, whatever, all these different places that you put it. But if somebody just messages or puts a comment on your video and says, uh, I needed that, or that made me laugh or thanks for the chuckle this morning while I had my coffee that's the point that like, that's why I'm doing this. And that's why I do this is, you know, it, some parts are, are relevancy to what's happening around us kind of thing. And I'm glad that it brings stuff to people's attention that they didn't know what was happening, but in a fun and funny way so that they feel jovial and okay about it when it's over and done. And that they type that comment, be like, I needed that. Not that I need a comment or anything from them, but it's good to know that you're connecting with people in that aspect of things that, uh, that it makes them feel better. Cause that's like, that's the point. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, I, it's funny. Cause as you're saying that, I'm like, man, I can't tell you how many times I've literally laughed out loud to your videos and never thought to comment, but my, my comment <laughs> well, back to what you, you have saying, to, man, it's okay. <laughs> but, but I actually was thinking about like, uh, the, the days that I have that are the best are not the days when a client comes through or some big project comes through. It's when somebody writes me and says, Oh, I am so glad I shared that with my wife. And we talked about this and this yeah. is what we took away from that guest. And I just wanted to let you know, it made me think of this story. Like there is literally nothing else like that because it's uh it, it's one of the the major feedback benefits that you get from this. Uh, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna have a conversation with you, and we're gonna share it with a thousand people, a couple yeah. thousand people. And if somebody writes back on that, it's just like a huge breath of fresh air. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely, it is. And but like, I guess at the same time, I'm I'm not the kind of guy that that lives by the comments that are that are on my you know channel or anything. You put it there, kind of thing. That and. I'll be straight up with it. There's been some times where I'm just like, instead of like having to go through and try and like all these comments or show people that have seen them or anything like that, there's like been more times than not where I've been like, uh, I'm disabling comments on this one so that I don't have to manage them. Kind of thing. <laughs> but that's not fair of me to do because if, if, if there's people that, that I'm like, there's, I like, I have a huge list of people specifically on my YouTube channel that, it's the same people coming back and leave a comment. And I really try and get back to those people because, you know, maybe this is their channel to, to be able to get out of their mind or be out of where they're at and just have some fun. And like what you said, like, I, I really like hearing that, that you laughed out loud at something because that's, geez, that's the key to everything. And we talked about this last time we chatted is laughter is just the key to everything. And that's really what I strive to do people and uh, is, is to make them laugh because it's so important and that I kind of always know when I have a, a, a good episode coming up or if I'm working on a good video because it'll be you know 
two in the morning or whatever, and I'll be sitting there editing away and, and like, I'm, and I'm killing myself laughing while I'm doing it. <laughs> I get joy out of a lot of these too, because I'm like, this is funny, you know? And <laughs> I'm glad lots of people think it is because how terrible would it be if I was just like, I think this is the funniest thing I've ever done. And then you get like four views and 10 thumbs down on it. And you'd be like, okay, maybe this wasn't the funniest thing <laughs> ever done you know yeah but in a way you did that right you did that in the beginning where you put it out there and you're like i don't know if people find this funny i don't I, maybe i'm just a weirdo yeah man um you know it, it was it was kind of crazy and I, I, I guess i'm just kind of taking over and interjecting here a little bit so. it doesn't matter to me <laughs> um I'd, I'd, I'd hit my one year anniversary and it, like i'd been uploading every monday every monday at 6 a.m for one year and there would be, there would be times where, and like, you know, too, like when you try and upload a lot of stuff, like it's, it's stressful and it's a lot of editing and it's a lot of, it's a lot of everything. Right. And it's not just pushing one button, like, Oh, I'm done getting it together. Now I'm going to upload it. There's, there's so many it's details. So People have no concept. So much to it. And now you've got a little kid running around too. So you're trying to shuffle that in there too. Right. And I, I totally get and respect that man. But, um, so I, I'd promised myself that I was going to get to that one year anniversary. And there'd been a few weeks where there'd be something, you know, remembrance day or mental health awareness day or something like that, where I'd be like, I'm doing another video this week to, to draw some attention to that because it's an important thing to me The Terry Fox run and a few things like there's things that are important to me that I want other people to not only, you know, uh, be able to recognize, but understand why they're important to me and maybe how they could incorporate it's being important to them as well. If, if it's the kind of value that they're, that they cherish. Right. So I'd put a, I'd put out a mess of videos and, and I, I hit that Monday and it was just like, it was like a, a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders which I don't know why, because I was the one that set the Monday upload rule for myself. It's not, it's not like some corporations paying me to do this or whatever, you know, I get a couple hundred bucks out of YouTube a month, but that's about it, you know? So, uh, I'd done it. And I was like, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done until March. Like I'm going to take this huge break and I'm, but it, it turned into a part of my life a little bit. And I found that it turned into a part of how I kind of find my internal happiness a little bit too, is to, is to share my internal happiness and, and laughter with people. Right. And, uh, I'd gone, everything was perfectly fine. We we're just coming into the Christmas break and we were actually filling a canola contract to uh, Yorkton, which is an hour away from here. It's typically where we haul our canola to, and uh, I was like, man, I, I, I didn't do anything for Christmas. How could I leave all my followers without some kind of a Christmas video? And I was just thinking to myself how I really, really dislike Christmas and Christmas carols. I'm the worst Scrooge on the face of the planet. Christmas isn't my thing. And uh, I'm driving blue ball down the highway, hauling canola to Yorkton, and I hear Christmas carol come on. And, and I just kind of, for some reason, it popped into my head it's lovely weather for a grain haul together with you. Cause I'm out here hauling grain. And I was like, man, could you imagine if there's a Christmas carol called grain haul instead of sleigh ride? By the time I got to York and I sat in line for an hour and a half, I had the whole thing written and started recording it and, uh, and then put it out. And like, it was like, there was no stress and I had it ready to go like four days before the next Monday was ready to go. 
but it's crazy how naturally things start coming to you when you kind of take the pressure off of it. You know what I mean? And, uh, I specifically remember sitting that night editing everything together to make it match the music and everything and just killing myself laughing in the basement thinking you're like, this is the funniest thing I've ever done. And it's after I said I was going to quit and take a couple of months break kind of thing. So it's, it's really strange how that happens where you just, it's just like you, you gravitate naturally towards laughter and stuff that makes you feel good. You know what I mean? And I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is I really hope that emulates to the people that watch it or get involved with it is, and why I want to try and respond to comments and do all this stuff, because if they feel how I feel with a lot of it, well, that's the point, man. You know, you know, you, you, when you think about the experience that you had, the epiphany or the, the Eureka thing, that is a well that so many people would love to have that if you found the well, right? Like, it's, it's a little hard to leave it, right? Like if you do know how to tap into something that's deeply creative and allows you to ask questions and whatever that is, I, I mean, like it's not a moral responsibility for you to make YouTube videos, but I really feel like if you have found the muse, then you owe her something. And I don't, I, I don't think you can just walk away. I, I get you. And that's, and, and that's definitely, it's, it's crazy to say that. Cause that's absolutely crossed my mind. I mean, more than once, just like, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where I've just been like, you know, I'm just like, I'm mic drop and I'm like, that's enough of this kind of thing or whatever. But then you do it and you start doing something else. And even I, like, I even found myself today in the bitter cold outside, you know, do, doing our thing or whatever. I, I find myself driving by places and I'm unintentionally like planning my next video in my head kind of thing. I'd be like, I think this is what I'm going to do. And I could do that there and I could do this here. And that's what the mindset that have set of rules, like you need to stay away from this for a little while. You, you, you can't rein something like that in. If it wants to go, you let it go. But I think the more important thing is to not force it to happen, to just let it happen kind of thing. And so that's kind of why like I've taken that Monday upload schedule away and just, just kind of let it go. And when it's time, it's time and you do one and you, and you put it up and, uh, I'll try that for a little while and see how it goes. And like that being said, I've, you know, I've had the chance to do a lot of podcasts and, you know, some zoom appearances with, with Cargill and a few other people. I got a couple other ones, uh, you know, with uh, some real estate groups and some stuff coming up or whatever. And before I wasn't doing any of that, I was only focusing on doing uploads. And so, you know, it's just a little bit of a focus shift and, and try and make it so people can interact with you and, and, and ask you questions and stuff. And yeah, it's uh, and then try to navigate it through the times that we've got going on right now, which are a little bit, a uh, little bit crazy. Right. So it's uh, I guess it's just a matter of trying to keep people, keep people elated. It, it, that's, that's it. That's just the goal. And I think what I've found is if you keep people elated, it, it, it keeps me elated. It keeps me happy. If, if people are laughing and liking it and not being completely offended and, and, you know, driving people into fits of hysteria over it, well, hell, I'll keep doing it. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm struck by the idea that, you know, most comedians, what they want is to have a room full of people laugh and they certainly, they can imagine a larger room than the one they're in, or maybe a larger one than the, than that one. And maybe a little larger, but on some level, there's some, capacity limit you know maybe you get a stadium once right mm -hmm. but in the world of youtube 
the views are infinite or they have the potential to be infinite or in the millions or billions. So as you've watched the ticker go up and your average view count get to a certain point and then another point and then another point, does the feeling of satisfaction, like do, 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 because if you got the same views that you were getting five months ago, it'd be really different for you than, than does that, does that bother you at all? It's, that's a great question, man. And I, uh, I think the thing is, I don't look at myself, to be honest, as a comedian. I, I don't think I'm a comedian uh, at all whatsoever. I'm just a just a guy that just puts stuff together and tries to make people laugh. But I, I think I think I have it easy uh, versus a stand-up comedian because, I mean, if you put up a <laughs> – follow me on this one, but if you put up a video and let's say you get, I don't know, like 20,000 views on it and – a thousand thumbs up and 20 thumbs down and a whole bunch of negative comments and stuff or whatever. It happens over a period of time where I'm not like looking at my phone or computer or everything all the time and being like, I wonder how this one's doing kind of thing. I take those situations and I actually put myself into, you know, somebody like Kelly Taylor, uh, Brent, Butt. there's a, there's a lot of great, you know, Saskatchewan comedians here. Um, and I think to myself, could you imagine standing in front of a crowd? You don't wait for your reaction or how many views it's going to get or how many laughs you're going to get it's right there are vulnerable <laughs> standing in front of a room of people that are like hey make me laugh funny man and if you don't it it's like your job and, and your your requirement to make them laugh and entertain them whereas if it's me i just put it up and you either like it or you don't and either way i just i kind of don't give a damn <laughs> You know what I mean? Because I'm going to go feed cows tomorrow, whether you like the thumbs up or thumbs down it. But a comedian that that's their job, um, man. And and I have so much respect for stand-up comedians that that go in, and work rooms and work crowds and, and they're able to adjust their shows versus what's happening and what kind of reactions they're getting. It, I have so much respect for them just because I, I can't imagine how like how vulnerable you are in front of an audience and they need to be okay with that. And not only do they need to be okay with it, they need to be able to, to react to it and to change what they're doing. Like working with a, with an organism versus me, I can, I can take a, a, a shot three or four times if I don't like it and pick the one that I like and, and put it out there. And so what, right? So uh, kudos to anybody out there that is a stand-up comedian because that, that's, that stuff's not easy, man. And if, I've actually heard you interview a few stand-up comedians and, and I love hearing what they have to say because they're like, you know, I'll work on a joke for this long and polish it and my delivery and all this stuff kind of thing. And I, and like, that's kind of what put me into this mindset was actually listening to a few of your, of your podcasts, because I'm just like, uh, that doesn't apply to me at all because if I don't like what I've done, I'll just redo it and I'll be like, yeah, that one's better. And then I'll edit it in and go. Right. I, I was going to argue with you when you started that of being like, I'm not a comedian. And I was going to be like, ah, I think you are, but you're right. Like comedians, I, you know, when that kind of phrase of be, be funny, funny man. Right. I'm always struck that that's a little like taking a, a jujitsu fighter and putting him up on a stage and being like, be tough. And you're like, well, uh, how can I be tough? Like, I, I need to react. I need to be tough in in response to something. But yours is is uh, creation, almost like uh, theater or or yeah. uh, movie writing or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you know, I 
I guess like my, if you like quote unquote, I use it loosely time in the spotlight, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, it's been mostly during, you know, the COVID pandemic where there's no live gatherings, no live shows, no live anything going on. I've only done one live appearance where, you know, I actually talked in front of a crowd. It was about a group of 300 and it was in the town of Humboldt, which is right close by. And uh, I, I got to work with a guy that had organized the event and he had a, a career in broadcasting and some stuff. And, we kind of hit it off. We just met before the, before the event and we kind of hit it off. And it was basically a question and answer where he was asking me the questions and I was given the answers, but he made it so easy because he was just kind of lobbing me softballs the whole time that I could just hit out of the park. And like, that makes it pretty easy. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a lot of the situation you put yourself into, but <clears throat> I, I love Q and a, I, I always, uh, you oh, know, so good. What, yeah. I, I like, I have always wanted to be like, Hey, give me a talk where all it is is your people ask me questions. Like maybe I'll do like a five minute thing, but yeah. the question and answer that bounce back and forth, the, the crowd, like when I have a good Q and a section, so like I'll go give a talk 35, 40 minutes. But when we do that Q and a, if we get in a groove, like we will fire off and go into subjects that are way edgier than I would ever put in a regular presentation. But because I can feel the crowd then I'm like, oh, I, I can keep, I can walk out a little further. Oh, I can walk a little further. And yeah. uh, man, I, I got to tell you, I really miss that about about yeah. pre coronavirus world. It, yeah, and I, I could really see it. But like, I mean, that's why you've done so well on a podcast, where it was because you like you get you can make pe- people feel comfortable, you know, talking to them and asking them questions and stuff. And that's the same thing. Like you, you can test the depth of your water when you're in a crowd kind of thing. And and that's, there's something to be said for somebody that can work a room and feel out what's going on and how far they can push things or, or to keep a conversation going. I think that's maybe one of the bigger differences about what I do kind of thing is, is a lot of the topics that I cover too, you know, like I've, I've stayed away from, from the COVID side of things just because of, of the, of the huge economical mental uh, stresses that it's put on people's lives. And there's a, you know, a lot of division and a lot of people finding different misinformations and informations and a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, with the amount of stress that it's caused society, I, I, whether I I guess the the way I say it is like, I, out of respect for what's happened with the COVID pandemic, I've tried to stay completely away from it. I try and support, you know, our our health officials around here that are doing their best to to try and and make things work. And the rest of it, I just stay out of because you get so many people that are up in arms about PCR tests and masks and all this stuff or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm just going to keep farming. You guys have your fights there. But, you know, when it comes down to things like energy and and fossil fuels and, and different things like that. I mean, that's kind of stuff that I've, that I've stayed on or some, some more political issues in Canada, just because uh, it's stuff that affects not only myself, but you know, my, my parents, my grandparents, my family and stuff like that. And when you see different policies and stuff that your government's bringing in and whatnot, and you're more or less a, a frontline worker to that. If I was a frontline worker in COVID, I'd have an opinion on it kind of thing, but I'm not. So I let the frontline people do their thing when it comes to you know food security and oil and gas and stuff i consider myself a frontline worker to that and i've got an opinion on it <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? so, so speaking of uh what's going on in the world with energy canada the u.s we had a pipeline going we got past yeah. the protesters you guys like all moving <laughs> forward and uh now that's all seems to be on the rocks what's going on with the the pipeline 
Yeah, so so KXL actually uh, just got canceled. So that was uh, when uh, when President Biden was was sworn in. That was his first uh, first order of business was to remove the XL from Trump to axe the KXL, the Keystone XL pipeline uh, that was actually running south out of uh, out of Alberta down in Saskatchewan into the states, and uh, <clears throat> it it was actually under construction they had several hundred kilometers of this pipeline uh, already laid in the ground and that immediately put a thousand workers uh, out of work in alberta uh, i'm not sure where your guys' numbers are south of the border but it put quite a few american uh, uh, workers out of out of a job there too and that was pretty troubling um i i guess uh, considering the fact that uh the, the Alberta government had invested uh, $1.5 billion in, into this pipeline construction at that point in time. And it's uh, Biden had stated in his election platform that if he were elected, he was going to cancel it kind of thing. So I don't think there was a lot of people that were, uh, you know, very surprised by what happened, but I think there was a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot of people that were surprised about the lack of pushback that came from our federal government in Ottawa um, we just seem to have a very, very anti-pipeline, uh, pro-green uh, movement government in power in, in Canada here right now. That's really been inflicting a lot of uh, a lot of pain on our energy industry in the last little while, as far as fossil fuels go. So oil and gas, right? Um, and it's concerning. It, it's it's really concerning. Uh, what are Canadians telling themselves about why this happened? I mean, it's one thing to be like, well, President <clears throat> Biden wanted to cancel it, but he has to have push or pressure behind him to do it. So what's yeah, the story? Yeah, so the, uh, it, it, and that's where the web starts getting pretty deep or whatever. But I mean, uh, we don't do ourselves any favors in Canada because we are we are at a point where we're not really energy sufficient, right? Or we don't look after ourselves by staying within the borders of Canada. Um, it, it was one of the videos that I did uh, called, called Energy East, kind of, uh, this this summer there where we're, uh, you know, our, our crude oil comes from from Alberta here in Canada. We're also, uh, you know, one of the second largest, second largest uh, oil producers in Canada here in Saskatchewan. Um, and what we do right now is mostly what you see on the eastern coast of Canada is, is eastern Canada actually imports oil from, you know, Saudi, Russia, Venezuela, U.S. Um, instead of keeping Canadian oil flowing across Canada, or we had, uh, it's called the Energy East Pipeline. This is back in 2017, I believe it was when it got axed, but it was a plan <clears throat> from, the, from TC Energy with a pipeline it was only 1500 kilometers of additional pipeline that needed to be built on top of existing infrastructure, which would have taken uh, oil from Hardesty, Alberta, all the way to, uh, to the refineries in St. John's, New Brunswick. <clears throat> Alberta crude is, a, is uh, requires a little bit of special attention to be able to refine. And uh, we actually don't supply enough of it to Eastern Canada. And, what wound up happening is TC Energy got got kiboshed after our, our fearless leader Justin Trudeau took over power in in Canada here, and what, what we've done lately uh, is uh, in 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 the wave of the pandemic that's been going on, we actually wound up having to issue a whole bunch of special permits for it, but we actually shipped a, a, lo a load of several loads of crude uh, from from the oil sands in Alberta, which actually wound up having to come backwards down over up to the existing Trans Mountain Pipeline into uh, into the coast of BC. 
And then we're shipping it on tankers uh, via the Panama Canal. Oh, my God. Uh, around up through the Gulf of Mexico uh, to a refinery in New Brunswick. That it sounds is. definitely greener. That definitely <laughs> sounds like a... Because oil tankers run on uh, on hopes and dreams. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's what they run on. Uh, so it's a little bit frustrating, the fact that, uh, that KXL was designed because the oil that's going down to the States is going to go into the States no matter what. It's just the fact that now since KXL has been axed, it's going to go back onto trains and it's going to continue to go down to the States because we're, we're kind of gridlocked in Canada. And like the only direction for our oil to flow freely right now is, is down into the U.S. Uh, and you guys are in a great spot because we're kind of energy locked. You, you get our oil for pennies on the dollar. And uh, what's happening now is instead of just going through the, the KXL, which is actually <clears throat> scheduled to be carbon uh, carbon neutral as soon as it came online in 2023. And they actually had plans uh, by 2030 of the KXL uh, compressor stations, pump stations being powered uh, by renewable resources by 2030. So this is basically going to be a, a, a zero emissions pipeline that was being created. And uh, we've axed that now, and we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see it all loaded on the train cars again, and start running down the states on trains on on tracks. So and- I've seen you wearing your your tinfoil hat in your in your shows. <laughs> What's your tinfoil hat story about about why this is? Because it doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, it's 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 pretty upsetting, and I I, I guess you know I I don't want to get too far into the tinfoil tinfoil hat stuff uh, with what's going on, but I mean it. It's just the fact that if, if you follow the money on, on who owns tankers on what gets shipped off of the West coast of Canada, uh, who owns stocks and rail companies on which the oil is shipped down into the States. <clears throat> and if you look into a lot of these things, I mean, I'll let people look into whatever they want to kind of thing. But if you look at, it's called the Yellowstone to Yukon movement and a few other things where, uh, where you see environmental groups that are actually against pipelines for environmental reasons. If you look at it, there's a, a lovely, lovely lady in BC named Vivian Krauss, who is actually very good at following uh, funding on different environmental groups. Uh, they are funded by some people that have very, very deep interests in oil from Canada, not going to foreign markets on our coastlines, but rather being run down to the States at a discounted rate. So um, her name is Vivian Krause. Fair questions. Uh, she's a great follow on Twitter if, if you're on Twitter. But uh, there, there's been some pretty crazy things exposed as far as the Rockefeller brothers and Tidewater and a few different things. Um, well, that, of- like the things that you're saying here, like I know firsthand that is no shit. Like yeah. uh, I have a friend that his wife, she works for land trusts. And basically that is put money and we're going to uh, say that it's buying these land trusts, but we're actually going to use this for an environmental war chest that is essentially an arm of the Democratic Party. And it is to the tune of like hundreds of millions of dollars of which are always like by the time that money hits the streets, it's going to fund that bus to get a bunch of people to show up at a pipeline. It's, and that, that is like, this is not conspiracy. I know this is going on. It's, it's, it's straight up. And that's kind of like, that's kind of why I don't get too far into it because I mean, yeah, it's, this is, this is straight goods. And uh, it's, it's actually kind of scary is as far as I'm concerned, considering the fact that when you see a lot of the protesters that we see on a lot of these, even with the, uh, with the coastal gasoline pipeline, a lot of the protesters that were there 
rallying support standing in solidarity with the wet sweatin to shut down the coastal gasoline pipeline which actually takes uh natural gas from ground birch bc out into kitimat to be liquefied and shipped off to asia to actually help combat climate change by replacing coal fire generators with liquid natural gas way less emissions therefore reducing global greenhouse gas emissions um these groups are 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 not uh, associated whatsoever with the wet sweating tribes and uh, most of the indigenous people that you actually engage with that have the opportunity to be involved with a lot of these pipelines that are set to go through their communities support them because they actually have economical um, upticks in, in what happens with them they they get jobs they get revenue off the pipelines these a lot of these indigenous people support what's happening and have nothing to do with the protesters that are protesting against it. And there was a, man, there was a, a, a great video that came out of, uh, out of Ontario with some people that were blocking off intersections in, in Ontario, which has absolutely nothing to do with the coastal gasoline pipeline, uh, being asked, uh, so like, why, why are you so against this, this pipeline? What's in the pipeline? Well, while it's oil going through the pipeline is what they would tell you. It's, it's, it's not oil going through the pipeline. It's natural gas, right? It's just, it's a group of people that are completely out of touch with what's going on that are paid to be there uh, to, to keep us from getting our resources to, to the coast. And we're, we're really heading down a track where we're going to find ourselves in a situation where um, we're, we're in energy poverty for the simple fact that we're not doing what we should be with our own natural resources. Um, and, yeah, and people think that uh, that's hyperbole, right? But there have been no shortage of countries in the past where they grew plenty of food, but then through their trade policies, through bad decisions, through government like interference, those people starved to death. Yeah, and, and it's it, and, and that's terrifying. And uh, like a, like I would bring to everyone's attention right now is uh, Enbridge Line Five, uh, which is another thing that's happening here right now, which is scheduled for 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 May first, which actually runs through uh, the Straits of Lake Michigan. Um, it, it, it's scheduled to be shut off, uh, effective May 1st is what's happening right now. I believe Enbridge is, is working legally to keep this from happening. But right now we actually, we, we ship crude from Western Canada down through the States through line five to get around to, uh, to Quebec and Ontario, which logistically, as the crow flies, it's it's shorter to go that way than it is through Canada. But there we are again with with a foreign nation that that has the the the, the interest of fuels of what Ontario and Quebec are supposed to be receiving within their grasp and control. That's a pretty dangerous situation to put your country in, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that would have been solved with Energy East with 1,500 kilometers of pipeline that, uh, that was planned and ready to go that actually got shut down by the very provinces that are supplied by Line 5 right now. Uh, so I don't want to see it, but I, I feel like there's a very dangerous day of reckoning coming where we're going to see very, very high fuel prices in eastern Canada, uh, Ontario, Quebec specifically, and the only way that's going to be combated is to bring more tankers in from places like, you know, the Venezuela, Saudi Arabia and different places. And we continue to put ourselves dependent upon other countries, natural resources on top of which we sit in the top four in the world, which I, I just, if you ever ran a farm, like we run our country, you would not be farming for very long. 
<laughs> oh yeah, man. I just heard our new treasury secretary that was uh, quoted as saying, the way that we're going to get the budget back on track is that we're going to print and spend more money until mm-hmm. we can get healthy. And then we'll, we'll get that. And it's like, no, no one else gets to operate like this. No yeah. one else gets to say gravity doesn't exist. I'm just going to fly to the moon. <laughs> we're in a, uh, and, and we have a little bit of a, it's, I'm not going to sit here, I guess it's changing gears a little bit here, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a, you know, I'm a drill all the oil, mine all the coal, wreck all the lakes kind of guy. That's <clears throat> You'll never find a farmer, to be perfectly honest for that matter, a person that's involved in oil and gas in, in Canada, uh, with that mindset. There's a very few select group of guys that have got their jacked up turbo diesel that like to video coal rolling out of their passenger side and say an F you Greta as they do it kind of thing. <clears throat> There's a very small group of people that are like that, right? Farmers are stewards of the land. And uh, I've worked extensively in the Canadian oil and gas industry and I'm looking right at you, and I will tell you that we are one of the most environmentally responsible groups in the oil and gas industry in Canada. I've worked with safety hands. I've worked with environmental consultants. I've seen cleanup crews going in. It's reclamation that happens here. Everyone wants to focus on what's not been reclaimed at this point in time, but I, I get it, but it doesn't change the fact that we are very, very environmentally responsible here to top top of the world. In, in so, our energy extraction. So when you say that, right, like an, a, a, a good pushback here would be to say, well, mm-hmm. oil and gas, they got more money than God. Why is it that the other people's propaganda is better than your propaganda about that? Why are they winning? <laughs> I think it's a, it, it's, it's kind of a mindset. And I think when you get, uh, as far as I'm concerned, when you get into a lot of this green energy thing and like, keep in mind, this is of course my opinion, right? When you get into the green energy thing, this this is this is another part of uh, of the economy where there's a lot of hype and a lot of people that have huge money invested into going into these green technologies and things. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that all the green technologies on the face of the planet are bad. Um, I I honestly believe we do need to be leaders in in green technology and and to pollute less. I don't like jumping on the climate change is not real or climate change is real kind of thing. I like to keep myself grounded with saying we need to pollute less is, is how I like to look at it. Right. Uh, you could find 8,000 different studies on either end of the spectrum of what's happening with global warming and how far back are you going? And I like, I have no time for it. It's just, there shouldn't be a person on the planet that doesn't look at themselves and be like, I can pollute less as, as a person. And I, I really wish a bigger part of the planet would look at it, from that aspect of things versus, you know, methane, CO2 emissions and everything. Everybody gets so concerned about CO2 emissions that they're worried about what they're emitting versus what they could be sequestering in that point in time. So I feel like it's important to look at it as I, I need to pollute less. And when you look at green energy, there, there's no reason we shouldn't move towards things like that. There's a lot of guys around here in the Tufnel Foam Lake area right now that are, you know, retrofitting shops and seed plants and everything with solar panels and, and different things. This is guys that can afford it. This stuff's not cheap. Uh, you can get rebates back from the government with our with our quote unquote fancy carbon tax that we have here in Canada right now, <laughs> which we're not even going to touch on unless we have all night. <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but there's some rebates you can get back on to try and push you in that direction, and that's fine. And electric vehicles and things like that. There's there's places where you see cities moving to electric buses and electric trains, and uh, like I. 
I don't not support that uh, where it makes sense, where you have the power grid for it. Um, <clears throat> absolutely. You should move towards that, especially in provinces like Ontario and a few different places where they actually have a large, uh, a hydro power grid and nuclear power grid, which is a very low emissions, zero emissions electricity. Right. Um, but when you get out and, into the, into the sparsely populated areas here out in Saskatchewan and Alberta and a lot of different places, we rely on on coal and natural gas fired electricity. So even though you might switch over to like an electric powered car, let's take Saskatchewan here, for example, uh, we have 350 charging stations throughout the province of Saskatchewan right now. Cool. You know, and if I'm going to go from here uh, in, in Tuffalo, I'm actually in Fulton Lake right now, spoiler alert. But uh, if I'm going to go from here to, to the closest city, I'm, I'm, I'm two and a half hours away um, so all of a sudden a, a day trip that you need to make turns into a trip that you can kind of make, and then you need to charge and then you need to get back here. And at this point in time, it's 32 below Celsius and our power grids barely keep up with everybody's lights, furnaces and everything that are running right now <clears throat> to try and keep things heated here, flip it over to the summertime. We have power grid failures here when everybody's running your air conditioning at the same time. You do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we're not, we don't have anything plugged in. We don't have any cars plugged in. We don't have any grain dryers plugged in. We have no combines, tractors, any of this stuff. None of it's plugged in right now. It all runs on fossil fuels. Right. So that's why people in the prairie provinces or rural areas get, get anxious when you hear this huge, huge push to move to green energy is for the simple fact that we're like, okay, well guys, that, that it just kind of doesn't work for us right now. I'm not saying that, you know, mom and pa that just commute back and forth say somebody lives in town here and they drive to bumper to bumper to go work a parts job through the day there, there's no reason that they can't switch to an electric vehicle when the vehicle that they're driving right now eventually needs to be replaced there's nobody saying that you can't do that kind of thing but then you get a day where everybody's got their stuff parked outside and it's minus 35 right now well we've got a long ways to go with battery technology before we can actually depend on on a battery to to get us through these climates right take that out of the consideration and then go into uh, our agriculture circadian rhythm of, of, of harvesting seeding and all these different things. The amount of horsepower that we need. To yeah. I was going to say that there's the, uh, show me the battery. You're going to haul around the field that <clears throat> allow you to put a, a plow into the yeah, ground. That's just it. So, so let's take that. And like, I don't want to sit here and crap on everybody. That's like, Hey, we need to move to EVs because like I said, there there's, there's places where these things work. And if you've ever drove one, um, for the time that they run, they're absolutely impressive. And here's a story that I like to tell for EV people that are listening that are all pissed at me right now. Um, we went to some lawnmower races. Now, how more, how much more redneck does it get than lawnmower races? Man? <laughs> like these guys that have got lawnmowers all hot rotted out and everything and all this stuff. This was in Taylor, BC. And we went there and there was this one heat that went on modifieds. And there was a guy running a Kubota that was run off of lithium batteries. Okay. And he's in this competition with all these guys that have got these big dragged out, souped up lawnmowers that are going to kick some ass on this redneck circle track where we all <laughs> drive lawnmowers around and everybody's doing their warm up laps, right? The NASCAR, it's all the same thing. They like to pretend they're little NASCAR drivers on their lawnmowers. So they're cruising around doing their warm up laps. And there's this guy in this Kubota mower that's just sitting at the start line. And I asked my buddy, because I didn't know what was going on. First time I ever seen this stuff, I was like, 
what, what's going on? Is he broke down or what's going on? He's like, dude, that's an electric one. Okay. He's like, yeah, so he doesn't need to warm up. He's just sitting there waiting. <laughs> I was like, plus, like he can't go do the warm up lap because you don't need half the warm up laps you do. You're doing it to get your chest popped out and be like, I'm a <laughs> Well, this guy sits there and everybody lines up and he absolutely and completely destroys them. Like the amount of horsepower that you get out of these things is incredible. There's guys running electric sleds, electric motorbikes and stuff like that. I will not take away from the the actual horsepower that you get like that out of those things. It's amazing. Right. And it's, there's no emissions until you go back and plug them in and here in the prairies, you're being powered by coal and or natural gas, whatever. Right. But that doesn't take away the fact that that technology is there. There's no warm up laps and it's just now you've got your power and then you're done. But take that amount of horsepower and apply it to agriculture. Well, we run our air drill 20 hours a day. Where do you plug in? How fast do you charge it? How does it happen? Uh, we're running. So that's on our, uh, you know, that's, that's on our drill. And then we're running two ninety-seven tens uh, when we harvest and, and like we're, we're a small operation. When I say we're a small operation, I'm talking a place that's, that's a 4,500 acre operation with 300 head of cattle. We're a small operation here that that's feeding the globe. Right. Um, so how do you power two ninety-seven seventies, and then we need two grain trucks to keep up to that. We need a grain cart to keep up to that. <clears throat> We're running two augers in the yard. Uh, you're running lights. You're running bin fans. If you're having a damp fall, you need to be running a grain dryer as well. All of this stuff is all running 20 hours a day. Where's our battery power storage and everything come from for this is, is, is my big question to, to people that push that we can have this done by 2030 or 2050. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say we can't have this done by 2050, but, and let's say we come up with a battery technology, which is actually a lot of it's by Tesla's being researched in, in Nova Scotia and Canada here right now, which is absolutely amazing. And, it, and I hope that continues. We're going to get better with this stuff over the course of time. But even if you get all of this stuff set up to the point where we can store all this energy, where's that energy coming from? Well, right now here in the Prairie Provinces in the middle of nowhere, it's coming from fossil fuels. And the only replacement that that I've seen from research that I've done, and there might be some guys out there that'll school me on electricity and a bunch of stuff, and, and, and I respect those people. The only thing I see that coming from is nuclear energy. And... Uh, you're singing my tune, man. I agree with that. I like I uh, I just had a guy on that was from the uh, renewable biofuels thing, and we had an interesting conversation. He had a lot of really good points, mm-hmm. but still, nobody can compete with nuclear. It's not even close. And the danger around nuclear seems to me to be well within our parameters yeah. of other danger that we allow. Yeah, man. I I think we really have a a bad stigmatism with nuclear energy because everybody thinks back to the Simpsons and looks to Springfield and the the nuclear power plant that's got smoke coming out of the stacks when they do it and a bunch of three-headed fish swimming around. Well, everybody needs to realize that nuclear energy is no longer Chernobyl or the Simpsons or any of this stuff that it used to be. It's, it, there's still going to be dangers involved with it, but there's dangers involved in every single type of energy that, that we use. But when you look at the, I mean, you guys have it in the, in the central parts of the States and everywhere along the States, but I mean, even look at your, at your rail systems that you have, 
I mean, locomotives are, are, are powered off of electricity. It's a diesel generator powering, powering an electric motor that drives that train because of the horsepower that you get out of electricity. These are some of the places where I feel like we should start moving towards with nuclear energy. Like how much easier, like not, I'm not saying that it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but you have a track built on a piece of equipment that is on said track, no matter what, when they go, that's connected by iron all the way across your land. I mean, that's a place where you could be like, okay, maybe we should start looking at nuclear technology here and small modular reactors and things like that. We're starting to make moves on that kind of stuff in Canada here right now too. Um, I'm just, I'm not a guy that's against any of this stuff, but when we look at our renewables, like solar and wind power, those come at a price to our environment as well. Um, we have. I rare was just talking with a guy who uh, who has uh, the windmills on his house, yeah. like in, in his yeah. property, and he was telling me that they were told when they got them put on there that they would have a thirty year time span. But he's yeah. like, we already have four or five of them that are that are done. Like they they broke yeah. it, and he's like, it is going to cost three times as much to take mm-hmm. the thing down as it costs to put it up. Absolutely. And then what do you do with it once it's down? There's a lot you of put these it things. in a mass grave is what they're because <laughs> there's a lot of these things that can't be recycled right now. I, I am I am not going to sit here uh, talking to anybody. I, I will no longer do it on my YouTube channel. I'm not going to sit here and call this stuff down because if I built a home uh, tomorrow on on my place that's north of Tufnell, Saskatchewan, my five miles I would absolutely incorporate solar energy into it because what it's going to do to to my residents, a small residence, like what I've got is it is going to take away a load that is on the power system that I have coming in there. I can't rely on it to live though. It's, it's 35 below here right now. And the amount of energy that I use, unfortunately cannot be stored of, of what I need right now. We've had no wind for the last three days. And leading up to that, we had about a week where we had no sun. You, you always have to have a backup with these things. And I'm not saying that the technology is not going to get there where we can't store them in batteries or capacitors or whatever it winds up being. But we've also got to look at what makes up a solar panel and what, what, what uh, metals are used to make these windmills and everything and the life expectancy of them and the cost of them. And everybody needs to realize that no matter how hard we try as humans, if we're going to keep living how we live, we're going to emit and we are going to need natural resources. And we're unfortunately a a little, it sounds morbid, but we're kind of a cancer on the earth. We can reduce our footprint of what we do. But I think the biggest thing that, that we have going on right now, that's a huge problem in our society is that we're so polarized to either side of what we believe needs to happen to go forward with, with life. Um, I'm, I'm sick to my stomach when I hear Elizabeth May in Canada say that oil and gas is dead because I understand from rural Saskatchewan where we grow uh, a huge amount of the food that the world eats, that it's more the world that's dead without oil and gas, not us. We're kind of going to make it if our power goes out tomorrow because we have the crops and the chickens and the cows and everything here that we're going to make it. But it's the people that live in these big centers that are on this huge push to, to, to drive out oil and gas that don't understand that it's, it's oil and gas right now that's really keeping them alive. And I don't want to put it to them that way, but that's such a sensitive subject and how do you get people to understand that well 
I'm going to keep trying to do it with a little bit of humor and, uh, and, and some real life stuff to see what it takes to get, you know, farm, farm to table kind of thing. But it's kind of terrifying when you see the amount of things that are going on right now in the world where people are just trying to stomp out oil and gas like it needs to happen tomorrow. We can phase away from it. It's always going to be there to help support us, maybe as a support system, not as our primary, but man. So as you think about the people that are phasing it out, like in the United States, we just watched you can have a president one day that is supporting a pipeline, thousand jobs, next day, it's all done. Yeah. Is that possible in, in Canada as well? Do you have executive orders when <clears throat> Trudeau were to get supported? So you, you would call them now. I mean, I would want to consult somebody that's, I mean, obviously when you get into governmental hierarchy and a few different things, there's a lot of very serious process. Sure. In it. But from what I would understand as order in council and people passing things by way of regulation, I believe is how it happens in Canada here, which is actually fantastically what happened with our gun ban uh, when it came through side. North. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we talked about that before, but um, I think that's kind of what's really uh, is going to damage progress. Uh, you know, specifically when you see our big polarization between different political parties right now, where you have one that believes so far to the right side of what's going on here. And the other that believes so far onto the left side of what's going on here is when you have like, say what, what happened in Canada, I wouldn't say we had a conservative government uh, before we had uh, our liberal government come in. So Stephen Harper before uh, Justin Trudeau came in, I wouldn't have said that that conservative government was as hard right as, as our now government is hard left kind of thing. Uh, but you're really starting to see these huge swings in what's going on. And I, I think that those swings are going to be the biggest thing that will damage countries other than anything is because you have a, a governmental party that comes in that is about to just start reversing. And I think you guys are starting to watch it now. And I'm kind of scared to see what's going to happen because you've had a government in that's quite hard, right? And now you have a government come in that is going to spend the next four years, basically reversing what that government's done to try and move things their way. Then what happens if that government changes again in the next four years, then instead of, something kind of being somewhere generally in the center of what's going on to be good for a country. You have a country that just starts being a big pendulum that doesn't spend enough time in the bottom getting done what they need to get done to, to keep progress happening. Like, does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and the only people that thrive in a pendulum swinging are, uh, are the oligarchs that get to the top, right? They're the, they're yeah. the people that are, that are like, Hey, it's either going to be my team or the other team that's in power. And we're just going to switch off. But the people in the middle that are getting wiped out by this pendulum, they, they yeah. have no, like, you know, a guy like me, I, I, I literally don't have time to pay attention to all of this, it, but it seems yeah. like, uh, yeah. it's, it's absolutely insane how much can change by one signature. I don't want to be in a place where that, where one person gets that much power and, who does? The only yeah. person that does is the person who's their guy in power. But the, the next day, if it's the other guy, then you don't want one person to have that power. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I totally agree. And that's, and you're starting to see, uh, you're starting to see a lot of that happen in a lot of different countries, not just, you know, not just here in Canada or there in the U S right now, uh, in the country, uh, <clears throat> of Canada or the U S or anywhere in the world. I mean, it's, it's just, this is, it, it's, it's concerning for the simple fact that, uh, that we're just not showing progress with anything that we do now. It just seems to be one side just spends time dismantling what the other side has done. 
Um, and nobody's and, building anything together. It's like a, it's yeah. a sin. It's a mark of original sin. Yeah. If you work yeah. with the other side to build something. Yeah, it really is. And it like, I mean, I, I, I can't really attest to, to us politics. Cause to be honest, I, I, I don't follow us politics very closely. Good man. <laughs> I, I can't even keep up with Canadian ones nine times out of 10. Right. But I mean, if you look back into the days of, you know, our, our, our former governments, when you get back into the Cretchen days of the liberals and a few different things, I mean, you, you didn't see this huge, huge pendulum. I mean, it was more, you know, a liberal government that would kind of run closer to the center line and then a conservative government that would run a little bit closer to the center line kind of thing. But now you're like, it's, it's like that pendulum is starting to pick up some really big momentum and you can, and you can see it doing damage to a lot of the stuff. And it's, it's, it's pretty concerning. So do the people in Canada have as much, um, like right now there is a sense in the United States, whether you're on the left or the right, that you don't really like the media, that the, mm-hmm. the, the media seems to be like not on our team and uh, is that going on in Canada yeah. as well? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I, and I uh, you know, I would, I would attribute most of that to social media. Um, and it, have you seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma? Uh, I'm familiar with it. I haven't actually watched the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I, I went through it and, it, and it's interesting. And, and if you watch what happens with your social media and some different things, I can see what they're saying. And um I just think that we're getting to an age where we're more tapped into what's happening more than any age of people has ever been. And that's, I think that's a dangerous thing in some situations because you get, uh, you get to the point where you can, you can find whatever you want on the internet to make you feel okay. Confirmation bias, right? You're just like, you can find it and you'd be like, I found this article that says what I believe. So I'm going to go with that kind of thing. And uh, I had a little bit of a reality check because I have a, a member within my family that that works in in renewables and, and a few other things. Um, and we get into some pretty interesting debates because we have different political views as well. But the difference between us versus anybody else that you'll ever debate with is we respect each other and we love each other. And we've always been taught since we were kids uh, that that you can sit down and have a conversation with somebody and you can respect the other person uh, that you're having the conversation with. You can respect their opinion and you owe them as much to listen to their opinion and where it's coming from as they do you to listen to your opinion and where it's coming from. And that's how that's how healthy conversations come about. And that's how healthy debates are built. And, uh, and that's where good solutions come from is when you can respect both sides. And I really feel like what I see a lot of the times, which I'm consciously trying to do better on, on my social media is, is not to immediately fight somebody that even comes fighting with at me or with a bad tone towards me is we need to calm down. And, and, and like I said, much, much earlier in, in the podcast here is, is you need to try and understand where that person's coming from and why they feel that way. And I think I found a little bit of traction w- w- with what I do in some of the small debates. I don't spend a lot of time debating on like Twitter and YouTube and it gives it's, just, it's, it's kind of a waste of time, but, but I always do try and invite people to come to Tufnell for a beer and we can all put our phones down and have a conversation with our phones on the table and just have a conversation like what we're having right now. Right. I think, I think that that's one of the great things about your videos is, so I talk in the, on this podcast a lot about somewhere versus anywhere people. So anywhere people are like the, like, like I was, you went to college and you wanted to leave and then you wanted to go live in the cosmopolitan world and you end up valuing, um, 
the broader world as opposed to where did you grow up, the people that you're around somewhere. And I, mm -hmm. when I watch your videos, right, all of a sudden you're like, I'd really like to know what the tough no, uh, you know, go there and get the, the, the fast food that you talk about. And the, oh uh, yeah, man, you gotta have a pig, Max. They're yeah. so good, man. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, uh, when, when you think about what the danger of social media is somebody could be living in Tufnell just like you are, and they become so engrossed in what's going on in their phone somewhere else that they don't enjoy the benefits of Tufnell, right? That the, that the thing yeah. that you've uh, cultivated into something rich and, and bountiful and things that people tune in to learn more about passes them right by, even though it's just down the street. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And that's, uh, I think that's such an important thing that, that people need to tr try and stay focused on. And I've consciously found myself doing it and, and have made a conscious effort. It's just been in the last month here, actually taking over into a new year. I, I try and be more conscious about how much time I spend on my phone, on social media, because I, I, I found myself in a spot where I was like, you know what, I'm really losing touch on, on, on what my goal is here because you actually find yourself falling into this well of, of gravitational pull and into the, the dumpster fire that social media is, so to speak, kind of thing. What's the longest you've gone without Twitter? Uh, oh, man, like the thing is, if I'm doing something, I can put it down and, and not touch it. If I'm focused on something, I could go days without it. Um, but I, so I did a month of it. I did. So I did a sober October and part of it was giving up Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the sensation I had the first night I was eating this great meal and, uh, it tasted like sand. Cause I was like, it's so boring. Cause <laughs> I want to be looking at Twitter right now. This you got to cook better, man. Use some yeah, well, spices and stuff. <laughs> I was, I was using, that was, I had an arm roast, like an Asabuco thing. It was great. But, uh, it, it, it was, uh, it was shocking to me to wake up in the middle of that experience and be like, wait a second, this food is great. Your yeah. wife is right there. Your baby's right there. Yeah. You're, you're just like, because I think it was harder to uh, resist the pull of social media like Twitter yeah. than it was for me to quit smoking. I, I I guarantee you it would be. And like, it's 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 literally a magnet that pulls you in. You know what I found uh, that, that does me really good is there, there's two things that I have found that I'll do and they both kind of involve animals or whatever. But number one is... Uh, I went hunting the last two days of whitetail season here around Dublin. And, uh, I like, I, your notifications are shut off. Everything's shut off. Like your phone is off. You're hunting. It, it really brings you back in check with what's happening around you and, and just how interesting the world is that's around you because you see things that you're always distracted by kind of thing or whatever. Right. And the other thing that I've found is that it, it, and it's spending time with, with my, with my parents, with restrict COVID restrictions in Saskatchewan here right now. I'm actually, uh, my parents are about, uh, eight miles away from where I live here right now. And, uh, like it, it ties into hunting because it's one of the pastimes I've always had with my dad is we'll get together and, and you know, we debone the deer that I got and we process the meat and we cut out some roasts and then, we spent, uh, we started calling it sausage Sundays where we'll, Hey, we're going to make 30 pounds of sausage this Sunday kind of thing or whatever. But that's kind of the rule is you shut your phone off and you get rid of it and you crack a couple of beers and you just hang out and not be influenced by the outside world, man. I would, uh, I would suggest everybody take breaks like that. It doesn't have to be hunting or making sausage or doing anything, but it needs to be time where you spend an extended period of time away from the magnet of social media 
and just do what you're doing. You don't have to post a picture of what you're doing. You don't have to text the selfie to your friends being like, not much, just doing sausage with BMA kind of thing or whatever. Just put it all away and just be alive on the planet for a little while. And you'd be surprised what it can do for your, uh, for your own good. Right. Well, man, it is uh, late at night for me, but I am really grateful that you were willing to sit down in a negative 25 degrees Celsius night and uh, and chill and talk for a little while. Hey, it's, uh, it's, it's plus 20 in here, thanks to oil and gas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for people that uh, this is their first time hearing you, how can, they, how can they find more about you and see your show and all that? All right, yeah, well, good to meet you. If it's your first time listening to me, uh, best place to find me is on YouTube. Uh, at quick dick mcdick just just how it sounds you type quick dick into youtube don't type it into google because you might wind up on some terrible sites there <laughs> i tell you what i told an ambassador today the the u.s ambassador to the world food program that i was interviewing you tonight and what, what? uh he looked shocked that i was interviewing a guy named <laughs> i was expecting him to be like i know quick dick and then I, and then he was like oh have have fun with that quick. Huh? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best place to find me, man. I got everything on a, on a playlist there. You can start from front to back on quick dick, McDick unlimited. Uh, Instagram is QD McDick. Facebook is quick dick McDick. Twitter's at quick dick McDick. Uh, oh, I'm on TikTok for some reason. I don't know why it's all the same stuff anyways. Uh, and I got a website. Uh, it's not that impressive. It's quickdickmcdick.ca, but I actually, uh, I've, I've got a line of clothes out here that are actually made in Canada, which has been quite a, uh, quite a little, uh, journey that I've been on, but yeah, we do hats and, and, uh, hood sweaters, bonnie hugs, we call them in Saskatchewan t-shirts and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, if you just want to laugh and have some fun, go check it out. And if you don't, help, don't. It's all good. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. I, I think you are doing something deeply important. And I'm glad to hear that it's your muse that's calling you to do it. So I'm, I'm really glad you came on here. But keep going, man. Go all the way. I will, man. And I really appreciate you reaching out to me again to, to get me back on. It's always good talking with you. And I feel you're doing the same way. You run a great podcast. And uh, and I really uh, I really like hearing what you draw out of a lot of your guests that you have on. And I don't podcast that often. so <laughs> I remember when I refreshed you the first time. All right, man. We'll catch you later. Yeah, great to catch up with you, man. Take care, Vance. <laughs>